Amen. We're going to come to God's Word tonight. If you have your Bibles, it's Psalm chapter 85. Psalm chapter 85, as we turn over, we just want to continue on from uh, last week that uh, these three messages uh, the Lord has uh, given just regarding revival. Last week we looked at starting the work in the individual, the individual work of the Spirit of God in the heart of man, just working in us and through humility and coming before the Lord and with a deep cry before the Lord that the Lord would respond and give grace to the humble and revive us again as individuals. And then tonight uh, we're going to just look at revival. And in the second part, it's revival in the home. Revival in the home. And we know as we go through these messages tonight and uh, believe that the Lord will speak to us and how much we need God to move in our households. Uh, we need a move of the Spirit of God among our families and amongst our home. And, you know, uh, we just are looking to the Lord. He wants to deal with his people and deal with us according to his mercy, but how we need God to move in our homes. And tonight I don't stand as someone who has it all right. I stand as someone before you that needs revival in my home and I believe in the Lord for God and there's revival power to touch my house and to touch my family. So I don't stand here tonight as someone who has it all together. I stand here tonight as someone in need and uh, just looking to God's word and the Holy Spirit to move among us tonight that God, I want a revival that touches our homes. I want a revival that touches our families. I want a revival that that the home is an expression of the body as we meet together but that you know it's not just confined to what we do on a Sunday but that the power of God would move not only here as we gather as the family here but it would reach into every home and that would flow back and forward if you like from the home to the church from the church to the home as God has intended it to be so Sam uh, chapter 85 let's just pray together. Father we just open our hearts before you tonight Lord, we just come afresh to your word. Our hearts are opened. Lord, we soften our hearts. We tune the ear of our heart to your voice, to your word, to your speaking voice. Lord, I pray tonight that you would quicken the word to our hearts. Lord, we pray that you would move by your spirit. Lord, give us the ability to hear. Lord, we come as your people, as your sons and your daughters tonight. We come, Lord, and we cry, Abba, Father. We come as a people in need, Lord, and we thank you that you're one that hears and answers prayer. And so, Lord, would you bless your word and quicken it to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm chapter 85. Lord. Thou hast been favourable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin, Selah. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God, of our salvation and cause thine anger towards us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us, plural, again, that thy people might rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. You know, this word uh, revive, <coughs> uh, revival, of course, is well uh, rehearsed amongst us. And it's a very familiar term, and we're well aware of the 
what it means as far as the revivals that we have looked at, studied, and rejoiced in the great testimonies of how the Lord has moved in times gone by. And I believe that in the desire for God to move in revival power, that the Spirit of the Lord will begin to deal with us um, into the deeper things, into the reality, into the heart, into the deep issues, into the agendas and everything else, right down into the depths of the being of man and right into our home life and right into the aspects of every aspect of, of the believer, that it's not just something that we do on a Sunday, but that Christ truly is Lord of everything in our lives. This word revive is to become active or to restore life. And we are truly in a position at this time that we are longing to see this great revival power touch our homes and to touch our families. We looked last week at revival beginning in the individual, but this is another essential part of revival, a revival in our homes. The local assembly and the individual homes rep are represented are not exclusive to each other. In other words, it's not just me and mine and my house, and then when I come to church, that's something separate. The home and the assembly are completely, inextricably linked by the Holy Spirit. There are two thoughts that are popular today. What happens in church is simply church, and the other thought is what happens in the home has nothing to do with the assembly. But actually, both of these thoughts are wrong because the church is an extension or the house is an extension of the church. So what happens there will affect what happens here. And what happens here should affect what happens there. Otherwise, we're really in a pharisaical way practicing an outward religion on a Sunday, but we live something completely different the rest of the week. And that is not how God has intended it to be. God is the, uh, he is the one behind the design of the family. And we know we're living in a day that the family unit, more than any other generation, is under severe attack from the powers of darkness to destroy what God has ordained as the family unit. It is God that designed it, it is God that has ordered it, and it is God's desire that he would bless it, that he would bless each home that is represented here because he is the one that designed it and it's his heart is at the center of it. What happens in the home will affect the assembly and what happens in the assembly should also affect our home life. There is a very unique connection between the individual home and the assembly, the church, the gathering of God's people. And often this is ignored, but they are completely connected that you cannot separate one from the other. So revival in the home, what does that mean? What does that consist of? What are we talking about when we say the home? Well, first of all, everyone is part of a home. So it starts with the individual. So every one of us tonight are part of a home. So it starts with you. And last week we looked at that revival in our own hearts and in our own lives. But other areas that this will take part in tonight, uh, four more areas that I want to look at, just if you turn in Ephesians chapter 5, we look at 
at revival in the marriage. So in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, we look here at the Word of God and it reveals to us God's intention for the order of the marriage and how important that in that marriage that Christ is center and that there is unity in the marriage and that God would bless that marriage union. And for those that are married here and those that are in a Christian marriage together, we do know the blessing of God when there's unity, when there's walking in the Spirit and the blessing of the Lord that is part of that. And it is God's will and it is purpose to bless that union. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23, it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let their wives be to their own husbands in everything. The Bible says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also has loved the church and gave himself for it. So in the order of God, we see that the blessing of the Lord will flow when we together live our lives according to the word of God. That's where the blessing, when we walk in God's way as husbands, as wives, when we walk in the way of the Lord, then the blessing of the Lord is upon that marriage and upon that home. So it's essential that when we are coming together tonight, that God wants to bless the unity, the union of marriage. Marriage is under severe attack. The, 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 the primary target in these days of the enemy is to destroy uh, marriages, is to redefine marriage. You've heard this terminology used. It's from the pit of hell. The redefine marriage. We're living in a post-Christian nation. But God blesses that union and God blesses that marriage when that marriage walks in his way. So we're looking at what constitutes revival in the home. We begin with marriage, not only marriage, but also uh, in our children, that God's desire is to bless our children, to save our children, and to restore our children, and to raise them up as men and women, to walk in the way of the Lord, and to know the, the Savior, and to know the power of God in their lives, and God's desire is to bless that family unit and bless our children. And we're looking for a revival that this doesn't make us feel good on a Sunday, but it reaches into our families and touches our children's lives and that their lives will never be the same again. And so we're, we're looking at the household or the home. And the Bible tells us again that we have a responsibility to bring our children up and in God's way and Proverbs and some of these verses are well known but Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6 Proverbs 22 and verse 6 a very familiar and well known verse uh, gives a charge to the parent in bringing the child up in a certain way and it says train up a child in the way he should go now the Bible says when he is old he shall not depart from it I just want to stop there and encourage everybody tonight, your sons and daughters, and perhaps they are not walking with the Lord, but you brought them up in God's way. The Bible says that when they're old, they shall not depart from it. That's the word of God. 
So how many people need the reviving power of the Holy Spirit to quicken that word and to revive again or restore again sons and daughters who have been brought up in the way of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So do we need revival in the home? Do we need the power of God to touch our families? Children, of course, have a responsibility too. The Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12, you want to live a long life. If you want to live a long life, this is what the Bible says in Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God give thee. And so there's promises in the word of the Lord uh, for our children and to pray and to believe God for them if they honor their father and their mother, that the Lord would bless them with long life and God would bless them. And how many want to live long? How many want to live long for the Lord? And so they see the blessing of the Lord, this revival that we're looking at that touches the home, that impacts uh, the individuals, that touches the marriage, that touches the children. We want God to do a deep and a, and a lasting work in our households. Also, it just doesn't end there. And this is where we move into practicalities. The Bible is a very practical book. And there's much instruction for how we are to conduct ourselves as believers. But we are also to live a certain way in our employment, in our place of work. And God has ordained work for man, for woman, for us to work in Genesis chapter 2. And verse 15, it says there that the Lord took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden, and God gave him the responsibility of dressing it and to keep it. So God God himself has ordained that man should work. So it's important how we conduct ourselves as believers. So in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, if you turn over to that, just these few verses I want to go through when we're talking about the household in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10, the Bible says there that it's talking about us working. Uh, first of all, the context of this, uh, just to read these few verses, it says in 2 Thessalonians 3 and 10, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, the Bible says, neither should they eat. So it's good that we occupy ourselves, that we work with our hands. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all. And then it says, but are busy bodies. And so it's important that we, when we are at the age of work and we are able to do it, that we should work with our hands and that we should labor as unto the Lord. It says in verse 12 there that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without and that ye have lack of nothing. So we see here in this context of the house so often it's just well, it's my home and that's where I sit. But we're talking about that the Bible deals with every aspect of that individual in that home. That our lives and where we work and our business that we walk honestly in our business that we're honest in our dealings with our employer, that we're honest in our dealings with our fellow employee. There is nothing worse uh, than a dishonest individual who claims to be a Christian 
working dishonestly in the workplace, but going to church on a Sunday with the suit on and all looking so well, but yet the world around us are looking at that and seeing that this is a phony and it brings an awful uh, slur, an awful uh, mark on the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ so that we're to walk honestly with them that are without. In other words, in our dealings, in our business, in our employment, where we are employed, that we have to operate in a way that is uh, befitting a Christian or a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Say amen if you believe that. I mean, this is these are the basics, I know. But the tragedy today is that we hear so often of how people deal uh, in the world and how they deal as Christians in the, in the place of work or in business. And, but that's business and this is church. No, what happens out there is going to have an effect in here. The testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that leads us lastly to one other part of the house and that is a term that is used as stewardship, how we conduct our, 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 ourselves in the sight of God and how we live our lives according to what God has given us. Everything that we have has been given to us by God. Everything that we have has been given to us by God. There's nothing that you have that has not been given to you by God. Everything that we have so Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 21, and Matthew 22 and verse 21, this deals with the area of stewardship, our finances, how we conduct ourselves in our financial dealings. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, verse 21, render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's. In other words, and probably most of us here in the workplace will get a, a pay slip, our tax will be taken, our national insurance. For some of us here, self-employed and pay our own tax. I hate when it comes around to it, fill those forms in. Not because I hate paying tax, just the forms are, they might as well be in French. But we, we, we want to be honourable in how we deal. What belongs, whatever we think of the government, and whatever, whether it's Labour or the Conservatives or the Lib Dems or whoever it is, what belongs to them in our tax belongs to them. Yeah. Now this is really, this is how we conduct ourselves. We need revival in the home. Yeah. We need revival in our business dealings because it has an effect. It has an effect on the home and on the assembly. And so Jesus says, do you render on to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. That's what Jesus said. And then the second part of the verse, what does he say there? And you render unto God the things that are God's. What is Caesar's? You pay your tax, you pay your national insurance, whatever that bill is. It may not be necessarily something that you like to do. And when you see the tax coming out or what the bill is and everything else, but what belongs to Caesar belongs to Caesar, number one. But number two, what belongs to God belongs to God. What is his is his. And this is important because we're looking, you know, when we really want to see God move, God deals with everything. He deals with it all. He deals with the heart and he deals with the hand. Because when he deals with the heart, the hand will be affected. Make no mistake about it, when God really deals with the heart, 
then the hand is going to be affected. And so we're told here that we're to render the things that are God's to God. And we really want to see, and I've often prayed it, and I believe it, Lord, would you open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon us, even a blessing that we can't even... And many people want that type of blessing. Well, that's fine, of course, if you turn over to Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8. And we're to render unto God what belongs to God. In Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8, if you turn over, it says these words, Malachi 3 and verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me, but ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. And the Bible says, bring ye, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there might be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven, and pour out a blessing that there shall not be room enough for you to receive it. Many people want a blessing like that. Many people really want a blessing like that. And so we're instructed here that we're to render unto God what is God's. The tithe belongs to God. The tithe belongs to God. I know there's a lot of teaching today, a lot of ideas today. You know, I believe in the principle and faith and giving what belongs to God to God. A few years ago, I met a lady on the doors, brought me in. She doesn't fellowship anywhere, but she sends her tithe to one of the prosperity preachers. I said, sister, the Bible teaches us that we're to bring the tithe into the storehouse. You find a fellowship, doesn't have to be this one, but you find a fellowship, wherever that fellowship is, where you belong and where that bread of life is broken, you tithe into that storehouse because that's the principle that God has led in his word. That we bring that tithe and what will he do? I'll open the windows of heaven. I'll pour out a blessing upon you and you won't be able to contain that blessing. The tithe, belongs to the Lord. Render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar. You wouldn't dream of saying to your employer, would you give me those taxes back? I'm not paying them this month. Because the HMR, whatever they are, are going to be on you very quickly. But would we dream of not giving to God what belongs to God? And so it's important that when we're talking about revival, so often we're talking about revival out here and the running down the streets and everyone getting excited. And I'm going to tell you something. I believe when revival comes that these streets are going to be impacted, that these towns are going to be impacted, that the church will be awakened first and there'll be a move of the Spirit of God like we haven't seen and souls will be saved and supernatural happenings will happen all over. But brothers and sisters, when we're talking about revival, when, it, when the Holy Spirit really begins to deal, this is where he's going to deal. He's going to deal right into the very heart of the matter, right into the very depths, 
right into the very being of our homes, our lives, our marriages, our children, our finances, our workplace. Have we been dealing right? Have we been walking right? Have we been paying our money? Have we been paying our taxes? Have we been honest in our dealings? Have we, have we been honest in how we deal with people? You know, we may never know in here, but I want to tell you something. God knows. God, the Holy Spirit, he knows. And so what happens in the home, what happens in the home will affect the fellowship. It affects the assembly. Now Paul writes about this and tells us clearly, in case you're not sure whether it will affect the family, but Paul clearly teaches us that what happens individually has an impact upon us corporately. If you turn over into Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15. Paul writes these words. Ephesians 4 and 15. <coughs> but speak the truth in love. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in, on, into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies. So every one of us, when we come, we're going to give of what we are, who we are, how we're dealing. So what we bring into the fellowship, the good and the not so good is going to have an effect now, it's very easy for all of us, including me, to stand here, a shirt and tie or not a shirt and tie, whatever, and we all look right, we all sound right, we all say the right things. But what I've come into this room with tonight is what I am and the substance of who I am, where my heart is and what's going on in my life. I bring that into supply, into this fellowship. And so it's important as we come together, that joint is going to supply what we have encountered and our interaction with God, the Holy Spirit, where we are in God. If we come in and someone's sitting filled with bitterness, then that's going to have an effect on an assembly. When the body begins to function, when the flow of the Holy Spirit is moving, then the Holy Spirit will be grieved with something in that life or in that heart, my heart, your heart, and so it has an effect on the assembly. I still believe that the greatest miracle in the day of Pentecost was they were all in one accord. There was a uniqueness of the unity in the spirit and the unity was one another that God opened the windows of heaven and poured out the Holy Spirit upon them. And so we're looking at this responsibility of the individual, the home, as we come together. And Ephesians 4, just on down the... the, the, the the, the verse, well, I'll just finish that reading of verse 16. According to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So every part, the effectual working and the measure of every part, we have a responsibility. Verse 25, it says, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. Look what it says there. For we are members one of another. So what you do or what I do is going to have an effect either way. Some people don't think that or believe that. I want to tell you spiritually as a body, that's going to affect the body. 
What I do is going to affect you. What you do is going to affect me. Because God has made this a body. It's unique. It's unique. But we have a responsibility. You know, the wee chorus says, so many lives depend on what I do. That's just not for those that are in the world. But that is important for those that are in the body. How we live or how we conduct ourselves. And so we see here that we are members one of another. Then it says, be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Then look what it says in verse 27. Neither give place to the devil. And so if the devil is given place to by not walking in God's way, then we know that the enemy will come in. He will seek to destroy, to kill, uh, to divide, to, to cause havoc amongst the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ in our homes. We know that the, if the enemy gets in the door, you won't need to ask him to do anything. He will be what he is. He's a destroyer. He's a liar. He's a thief. He's a murderer. He's a he will divide. He will cause havoc in the body of Christ. And so we're not to give place to the devil. And so we see in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, people who had an effect on the broader aspect of God's people. If you turn over into Joshua chapter 7, we read there of a man named, we're going to the New Testament equivalent, but in Joshua chapter 7 verse 1, we see how one man affected the whole company. One person affected the whole. In Joshua chapter 7 verse 1, the Bible says, But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. In this Old Testament account, we see there was one man, he, remember he took the wedge of gold, the Babylonian garment, he brought it into his tent, he hid it in his tent. But that, that sin that was in that heart and in the heart of that home, that tent was an individual home, but it was part of the full camp. That had an effect upon the whole children of Israel that when they went out to battle, they were defeated. And the Holy Spirit was grieved and there was a dealing with the camp and, and finding out what was happening in, in the heart of that particular household. It had an effect on everybody. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul deals with something very similar in the New Testament context. Because some would say, well, that's, uh, that's Old Testament. It doesn't count in the New. But Paul clearly teaches us how one can have an effect on the whole. It tells us in 1 Corinthians 5 and 1, and here there was a particular sin that was in the church that wasn't being dealt with. And it says in 1 Corinthians 5 and 1, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. Ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he should that he that had done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I, verily, as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that has done this deed. Now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, and my spirit with the power 
of the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Then he says these words, Know ye not that a little, a little leaven, what does it do? It leaveneth the whole lump. In other words, this sin would have an effect upon the whole body if it was not dealt with according to God's word. So then Paul says that we're to purge out the old leaven, that we would be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us not keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and of truth. So we see that one man had an effect upon the whole assembly. A little leaven, a little influence, a little influence, that's what that word means, can have an effect upon a whole body, a whole church. And, and you don't need to go far, or certainly in days you will have heard it, if you're in church life for any length of time at all, you'll find, and especially in the day that we're living in, that the amount of church breakups, the amount of breakdowns and divisions and all the rest of it that has taken place today, there's a little leaven, it doesn't take much, to leaven an assembly to bring in division and to bring in contention, to bring in all manners of things or unconfessed sin or things that are going on under the surface, especially, could I say it tragically, in Pentecostal circles where there's so much manifestation of just the flesh, but it's not the spirit. And so there might be a lot of activity, a lot of goings on, and everyone's saying this is the Holy Spirit. But really, brothers and sisters, the, the, the day that we have come to, when there's the promotion of man, where, there's the, where the church has become so centered upon entertainment, upon a worship team at the front that's there to entertain the crowd and the pride that comes with that and men taking the glory and men taking the things that belong to God and, and then immorality comes, the fall comes, the disaster comes and, and then there was this, there's this mess that's left behind and all the time what we're, what we're not dealing with is the real issues. That this is gathering is under the head and that head is Jesus. And this is his body. And, and we are here not for entertainment or to please one another or to, or to try and, you know, and I'm, saying, I'm not saying that against the people who lead us here and the musicians that we have. We know there's a wonderful heart in that and an anointing upon them. I, I say that honestly, but we, we, we keep it in its place because... We have seen the wreckage. And so this is not about can I get on the pulpit because people need to hear me. Yeah. This is about a ministry of the Holy Ghost. This is about an anointing. I have heard some people sing that can't sing a note. And I'm not talking about myself. I can't sing a note, but I've heard them sing. But when the anointing's upon them, listen, they could have sung in any key. But when it came up out of their heart, the anointing of God was upon it and it was powerful. Because it's not about how I believe we do our best, but there's such a drive today that is frightening, especially amongst the young people, to push them all up to the front. 
and get them all up there and yet the carnage that comes the pride that comes the wreckage that comes the fall that comes and then everybody walks away everyone walks away leaves them a wreckage on the heap and walks away and so we need to discern and we need to know and we need to operate and we need to function according to the will and the purpose of God because a little leaven it says a little leaven it didn't say a big bit it says a little leaven is going to leaven that whole lump. It has an influence upon it all. And brothers and sisters, we must know. Is there anything, or ask the question, or be willing to ask the question, are you willing, are you willing to be searched by the Holy Ghost? Are you willing to allow the Holy Ghost to search you? Are you willing to say, God, search me? <clears throat> Are we truly willing for the Holy Ghost to deal with us? Are we really willing to rend our hearts and say, God, Lord, whatever the cost, whatever the price, whatever it takes, but oh God, would you deal with me? Would you deal with my heart? Would you deal with my everything within this being? Would you do a work in me? Is there anything within us that the Holy Spirit would be grieved about? Is there anything in our home that he would be grieved about? You know, I often heard it said for years, and but in all honesty, would, would Jesus do what you're doing? Would Jesus watch what you're watching? Would Jesus go where you're going? Would, would Jesus partake in the conversation you're partaking in? Would Jesus listen to the jokes that you've heard? Would Jesus sit down with you and do what you're doing? Would Jesus do the business deal that you're doing or what you're doing with your, your, your colleague and work? Would Jesus do it? Well, that's not the type of Christianity that I have. This is what a Christian is. This is the reality of being salt and light in this world. The picture that we see in 1 Samuel chapter 30 probably is a picture that so many of us face today when it comes to the house. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, we know the story well. It's a familiar story concerning David. And it says in 1 Samuel 30 that David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day and the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire. And then it says, verse 2, and the women were taken captive. And all that were therein, they slew not any, neither great or small, but carried them away. And went on their way, and David came and his men came to the city, and behold, their homes were burned with fire, their wives, their sons, and their daughters were taken captive. We see the ruin, the, the assault of demonic powers, we see the assault of the enemy that had destroyed the, the homes of David and his men. It was the devil that done this. It was the devil, it was their enemy that assaulted them. It was the enemy that had taken 
uh, their wives and their sons and daughters captive. In verse 4, look at David. Now look at David's response. Look at David's response. <coughs> then David and the people that were with him, they lifted up their voice and they wept. They lifted up their voice and they wept. When they sing this, if we looked at it last week, but this is the this is a condition of humility. David recognizing what has happened, lifts up his voice and begins to weep before the Lord. He begins to intercede before God. He begins to cry out to God. He begins to call on God. The Bible says that they wept until they had no more power to weep. And many people have been there. Wept until there's no more power to weep. They lifted up their voice. They wept. There was tears. It was the enemy. It was the powers of darkness against the family unit. It's a furious assault against the family unit today. Would, would you agree with that? Yeah. It's a relentless assault against the family unit. The assault is to burn out. The assault is to divide the home. The assault is to take the captives, our loved ones, captive. It's the devil that does that. It's the powers of darkness that does that. But David knew there was a place in God. When he drops to his knees and he begins to weep and intercede before the throne of grace, he begins to call on God and he cried until he had no more tears to cry. It tells us that he inquired of the Lord in verse 8 and said, Lord, what will I do? Will I pursue after this troop? Will I overtake them? And the Lord said, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail, you'll recover all. I believe that God's purpose is to recover all that has been lost. Through the cross, Jesus Christ did not recover some. Jesus Christ has recovered everything through the power of the cross. You see, unity, these men gathered together with David. They wept together. There was a unity in spirit. And unity in spirit, of course, is more than coming to church or Wednesday night or Sunday and just that everyone's together or we're largely in the face of it, all in agreement. We're here and we're having a good time. But it's a unity of the spirit. It's a unity of the spirit. It's not a unity of man. It's not a unity manufactured by man. It's a unity of the spirit. It's a spiritual union. It's a spiritual unity, a harmony amongst the people of God. If God is dealing with us, me, you, in any particular area, we must know this great truth that God has made provision for the house. He's made provision for the household. We know that 
reading well in Exodus chapter 12, but the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt and say, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months, it shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth month of this year, they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers. And it says there'll be a lamb for a house. Thank God there's a lamb has been slain for every home that's represented. That lamb is Jesus. And so there's provision in the dealings of God in our lives tonight. There's provision through the lamb. There's power in the blood. There is power to cleanse. There is power to deliver. There is power tonight in the blood of Jesus Christ to drive back the powers of darkness. There is a lamb for each house. That lamb is Jesus. Just one last portion of God's word I want to turn to tonight. It's in Ezra chapter 8. This is one of the great revivals in, in the Old Testament. When God's people who have been in captivity for 70 years and the judgment of God was upon them. They'd been taken from their land. They'd gone into Babylon. Uh, they were in Babylonian captivity. And then God had set the time where they would return. And so God's people were coming back. And in that restoration or that revival as God's people are returning, we see that there is that there is a pattern that Ezra described which set for God's people to come back and how they would come back. God had set the order, they'd be coming back. God had set the time and the season to come to an end, but there was a and a way that there was a way that they would return. You know, God is particular about every detail. He's particular about every aspect of, of how things happen. He's a God of method. There is a method in God. And we see here in Ezra chapter 8 that the chief of the fathers, uh, they, they had come, went up with him from Babylon. And, and in verse 21, as they came to this place, the river of Ahava, it says that in Ezra 8 and 21, at this place, as they're about to return, then I proclaimed a fast there. Then I proclaimed a fast at this river. We're going back. God has told us we're coming back. God has promised us revival. God has promised a move of the Spirit of God in these last days. God has promised us that he'll pour out his Spirit upon us. Our sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men will dream dreams. Young men will see visions. We're believing in the last day outpouring of the Spirit of God. Would there be a great revival where our families, our households will be touched by the power of God? where our sons and our daughters will be restored in the purpose of God for their lives and what God has purposed for them individually. God has an individual, wonderful plan for our sons and our daughters individually. And we know and believe in God moves by the Spirit of God and the power of God and revival power and a move of the Spirit of God that our young ones will be raised up. It seems impossible to the natural man. I understand that. But it's not in the natural that we look it is a trusting and a believing in a God that will move by his spirit and raise up our young ones, raise up our sons and our daughters for his purpose and the individual callings that he has in their lives. But as we're coming back, we see here that Ezra knew that there was a way 
There was, a, there was an old path. There was an old path. The old paths have been well trodden by the old saints, the people of faith through many generations. Can I tell you something? They work. They work. The old paths, they work. And so Ezra declares there a fast of this river of Ahava that we might afflict ourselves before our God to seek of him a right way for us. Are you looking for a right way? Are you here tonight and you're saying, I want to know the right way to do this. I want to do it God's way. That's the right way. And we want to do this not only the right way for us, but Ezra said, we want to do this for our little ones and for all our substance. In other words, what he's saying, we're coming back. We're coming back to where God has purposed to be. This is a revival. This is a move of the Spirit of God. But Ezra's saying, Lord, we're coming back, but we just don't want it for us. <coughs> we want it for our little ones. And many people want it for our wee ones. Many people want it for ourselves. Yeah. Praise the Lord. How many people want it for our wee ones? Yeah. And how many people want it for our substance? The blessing of God, not just on our lives, but on our wee ones and on our substance, that God would bless our substance. And so that's the cry. Verse 22, this is what he said. Look at this. For I was ashamed to require of the king a band of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy in the way. Think about what he's saying. He's saying here, if I could just put it into our modern language, he's saying here, I am not going to do this any other way. I'm not going to seek the world for help to do what God has purposed us to do. I'm not going to turn to the men and the men of power and strength and what they can do for us. We're going to trust our God. And we're going to believe our God, that our God is able to do what he said he would do. And it would be a shameful thing that if we tried something of man or the arm of flesh to make this happen. I'd rather wait, trust, hold on. And that's not always easy. But we'd rather do it God's way than have man's hand upon it. Because what man will do will grieve the Holy Spirit and then the blessing of the Lord's lifted. And so we want to wait. We don't want to manufacture it. We don't want to make it happen. We don't want to regurgitate anything even of what the past has been. We want what God has for us today. He says we're ashamed of required the king because... We have spoken unto the king, saying these words. This is what we said. The hand of our God is upon all of them for good that seek him. Brothers and sisters, for those that seek the Lord, the hand of the Lord is upon us for good. But his power and his wrath is against all them that forsake him. So we fasted and we besought of our God for this and he was entreated of us. In other words, God heard us, God responded and the favour of God was upon them. If you go on down just to verse 31, it says, Then we departed from the river of Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go on to Jerusalem. And look what happened. 
and the hand of our God was upon us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy, and for such as lay in wait by the way. Praise the Lord, there's a way. There's a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is death and destruction. But there's a way before the throne of grace tonight as we come to pray like David of old to lift up our voice and to call upon the Lord that he would be entreated of us. We're not here to try and manufacture a plan or to put something in place that we think is a good idea. And I know there's a lot of good ideas, but we're looking for the blessing of the Lord to be upon this company. That God would come and he would deliver us from the hand of the enemy. That God would break into our homes. And when our homes are revived, listen, when our homes are truly experiencing the revival power of Almighty God, when we come together, Think about it, if, if my home and all our homes are experiencing a revival in our homes, how many people want to see revival in our homes? I mean, do you want revival in your living room? Do you want revival at your kitchen sink? I mean, be, you don't think God can revive you standing at your kitchen sink? Revival in our homes, our substance, in our workplace, how many need Revival in the workplace. A move of the Spirit of God. And then can you imagine that of every home, maybe 30 homes, I don't know, 20 homes represented here in this hall tonight. But if every home was experiencing showers of blessing and the reviving power of the Holy Ghost, can you imagine what Sunday's going to be like? Think about it. Can you imagine what it's going to be like? I can tell you one thing that will happen. I would doubt if the preacher will get anywhere near the pulpit. I would doubt in any sense of the word that when we begin to worship, that, that, that even the songs that have been prepared and honestly and sincerely been prepared, but suddenly the Holy Ghost would take over this whole meeting and we would be caught up in a moment in the power of the Holy Ghost. And this town would know that God is here. And so revival affects, must affect my home. Has to affect my home. You know, I know I've said it many times. I hope it's not just a case of here he goes again or he's repeating the story. But we know and we talk about it. But when God visited us in 2002, the place that was affected most, and Nikki will tell you honestly, we will be honest, the place that it was affected most was our home. The place that was impacted the greatest was our home. Our home was transformed by the power of the Holy Ghost. Our home was different. Everything was different. The only time we had a disagreement was who's going to the prayer meeting. That was a good argument. We, we, who's going? And then we decided that one would go for the first hour and the other one could go down for the second hour because the the wee ones, it was just Jack at that time. Just wee Jack. <laughs> used to be wee. But we used to say, can I go? No, I want to go. Why? Because there was an attraction. There was a drawing. There was a sense of God in those prayer meetings, the tangible presence of the Lord. 
you walked open that, through that door and suddenly you were met with a like a cloud of the presence of the Lord and you would fall to your knees. Some were rejoicing, some were weeping. But it was the, the impact on our home. And that just wasn't for a week. It wasn't just a good meeting. This was a prolonged period of time in our home where we experienced the reviving power. It was revival. It was revival. And it impacted our home. We cleaned our home up. My Christian experience was this. At that time, I was saved, right? I was well saved. But my practical working of living that out and driving lorries and doing part-time and doing this, that and the other, was coming home at night, dinner on the knee, on the tray, wonderful, get the dinner, sit down, and the box was on, and I'd sit there, and suddenly I'd went from half five to ten o'clock, and not even know, and then I hear people today complain that the meeting's two hours. A young girl said two weeks ago, who's in a backsetting state, it's too long, but I know she's going to the Down Royal. The race is for four hours on a Saturday. But two hours on a Sunday is too long. Too long for Jesus. And so when God comes, you lose track of the time. You're not looking at the clock. You're not wondering. You want to be amongst the people of God. There's a drawn power of the Holy Spirit. You want to get right with God. It's not legalism or condemnation. It's the goodness of God that gets you to repentance. I couldn't wait to sell the TV. It was this size. And that got us a flight to America to go to the conference. Thank God that's how we got there. And God moved in revival power. God stirred our hearts. Our marriage was renewed. We were at the point, oh, Nicky won't mind because we'll be honest, we were at the point of that and in our marriage it was empty. But when God comes into a home, marriages are restored. Amen. Unions are restored. Children are touched. Our Jack was touched by the power of God. He used to stand in the platform. He was four or five years old. And some of you might remember it. He used to stand there preaching and he preached repentance and he put the offering basket around twice. He's a real Pentecostal <laughs> preacher. But you could see even then, see, you might think, oh, that was just a kid. I'm going to tell you, even in those times, God was putting seeds in that life yeah. and putting seeds in other lives that are sitting here tonight. The seed of the Holy Ghost and the callings and the purposes of God were put in the hearts at that time and they'll never be the same until they yield to the Holy Spirit. Amen. Never. And God deals over those weeks and months and the dealings of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the tangible weight of God in a meeting. Brothers and sisters, it is wonderful. The dealings of God Sometimes people were rejoicing, clapping and walking up and down. And other times people are on their knees beneath their chair and they're crying out to God. The dealings of God, there's no disorder in that. Men might get affronted by it or find it a strange thing. But when God, the Holy Spirit, saturates a place, it's going to go beyond what we do on a Sunday and a Wednesday. 
It's going to touch our homes. It's going to touch your workplace. And it's going to touch your pocket. Listen, we had in that time just wanted to give everything. And there was nothing of feeling, oh, we're going to get shortchanged here, God. Why? Because when God really touches us, do you know when God moves, we become like our Father. What do we do? Our Heavenly Father. We become givers. Because our Father gave His Son. That's the heart of the Father. We become givers. We give and we give. And you know, we can't outgive Him. Why? Because God has come. The presence of the Lord. We went to that meeting. And I can remember, and Nicky will tell you, this is before the Lord, I'm assured the testimony many times, but it's good to testify and not to forget what God has done. But on that way to that meeting, I said to Nicky, this is the last night for me. Dry, cold in heart, nothing to do with the church, it was to do with me. And Nicky started to cry because she knew what that meant. And I had no intention of going back to clubs and pubs, but I just was saying, I can't do this. I'm like a mouse in a wheel. I'm tired. I'm doing church, but the, the, the living reality of Jesus, the life of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. And she's crying. And we walk into church. And I'm sitting there in my jeans and the t-shirt and I'm the coolest Christian in the whole world. Trainers and everything else. Oh yes. See that doesn't mean anything. Do you understand? That's why you hear me on about it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't make you more holy. It doesn't make you closer to God how you dress. But I believe that you dress right. And there's I'm sitting there. Do you? Would you believe it? That God simply heard the cry of a carnal Christian who's saying, God, I can't go on. And if this is it, I'm done. And God in his mercy, so good, reaches down into a carnal Christian's heart. That's why, brothers and sisters, tonight, when they see all the carnality today, I know there's hope. Because you're looking at one who was rescued. Amen. When you see all the deception, don't write them off. I know I preach against deception, but I want to tell you something. God's not finished. Yeah. And so at that moment, the Holy Spirit reaches into a heart, not even expecting it. Do you know, sometimes we say, we got to come, we got to have, we have to have faith and we have to do it all. I didn't have any faith. That was my last night. What about that for faith? How do you work that one out? What theological box am I put into tonight? I just went in, didn't care, and God came down and touched my heart, and my life was changed by the power of God. Amen. And He wooed us, He dealt with us, He refined us, and He's still doing it, and He's still working. We are not, oh, we are not the finished article, brothers and sisters. We are far from it. But that touch of God, see that time. I will never settle, never settle for just having church. And I'm not saying throw everything out, do this, do that. I'm not saying anything. What I'm saying is I just know 
that what he put in our hearts those 17, 18, 19 years ago, that in a moment, all I'm telling you, brothers, I can't work it out because it's God. In a moment, I know just before him that God could saturate this place tonight in a moment and every life in this room would be touched by the power of God and changed by the power of God and this church would be set on fire by the power of the Holy Spirit and we will not have to manufacture or make anything happen. God just comes. God just comes. God just comes. Friends, all I want is him. All I want is him. I want that touch. I want that reality. I want him to move in my heart again. Take me deeper. I count, as Paul said, all things, but I just count them all down. I want him. I want him. I want him in my heart. I want him in my marriage. I want him in my kids. I want him in my house. I want him in my substance. I want him in everything. I want this Christ. Whatever the cost. I want this Christ. Do you? Do you? We want him to saturate this house. In a moment. You may be sitting here tonight, very similar to the way I was sitting in a meeting 17 years ago, 17, 18 years ago, 19 years ago, I think, I don't know. I can't work it out, but I know this, that when he comes, when he comes, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. God, this comes. A few years later, I was talking to Brother Pete Spackman. He shed a wee bit of light on it for me. We were driving along in the car and he was asking me about what happened, blah, blah, blah. And I said, no, I was driving along that night with Nikki. And I said to Nikki, Nikki, I'm done with this. She started crying. And he says, God heard you say that. And God responded. Right there and then. What a prayer. I'm done with this unless he comes. God heard that. And he came. Brothers and sisters, do we really want them? Do we really want revival? Do we really want revival? Right into our homes, into our kids, into our hearts, into our lives. God, wilt thou not revive us again that your people would rejoice in thee? God sends revival. Father, tonight we just come and pray just at the end of this time as we wait upon you. We just invite the Holy Spirit to move for these few moments tonight, Lord. Lord, 
You know every heart. You know every life. You know where we are. You know where we're at. You know our thoughts. You know everything tonight, Lord. Nothing is hid from you. But Lord, I believe genuinely, right down in our hearts, Lord, there's a desire that you have put there, put there by the Holy Ghost, that desires for you. Lord, tonight would you come and touch us again. Revive us again. Revive us again. That your people might rejoice in thee. Let's take a few moments to wait on the Lord tonight. Let him have his way.